It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, December thirteenth, two 2012 is live on your computer tonight. Thank you for joining us. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, joins me to my right. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to join you tonight. As always, on Thursday night for the Virtual Bible Study, we're looking forward to it. We've got a number of people in the chat room already. I think we've got a topic people will be interested in talking about. I do, and uh, I'm looking forward to it as well. The number to call to be a part of the program and talk about this topic with us is 877-381-4567. You can email questions at collegeview.com, and you can join in the chat room, as you mentioned. Um, I think we're talking about a subject that probably most of us have had uh, had some dealings with. Yeah, we're going to talk about the doctrinal beliefs of Jehovah's Witnesses. And I think a lot of people are interested in that because most all of us have had the experience of being uh, met at our front doors by the Jehovah's Witnesses who are very active and going door to door to spread their message. And so I think a lot of people are intimidated by them and maybe afraid to engage them. There's no reason for that. No. Uh, And so hopefully by talking about what they believe, what they teach, and maybe even emphasizing some about how we can approach them, uh, how to how to, to specifically uh, engage them when they come to our door or when we might meet them in the workplace or any other time. Uh, hopefully we can help people feel a little more at ease when they have this opportunity to teach. And that's what it really is. It's an opportunity to teach. If they'll give you that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, before we get to that, Jacob, uh, as you said, uh, you can join in via the chat room uh, by email. We've got our phone line occupied right now. We're going to go to a, to a special caller here in a minute. But before we do that, I want to remind everybody that what we began offering last week and for the next couple of weeks we have an opportunity for you. If you'd like to get a copy of our uh, Bible reading calendar. Every oh, year, yes. Every year the College U Church publishes a Bible reading calendar. We've got our 2013 edition available. I think this is the 11th or 12th year we've done this. Okay. We try to encourage all the members here at College U to read through the Bible every year. This is a real good reading schedule, uh, printed up in calendar form so that you can keep track of that day by day. Uh, we like the way it's laid out. It gives okay. you five readings per week. Right. That gives you a chance. If you read Monday through Friday, you take off on the weekends. If you get behind, you got the weekends to catch up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think it's a real good layout. It works chronologically through the Bible. Uh, a lot of us here who have followed that for some several years still get a lot of good out of it every year as we go through that reading. So if you'd like to get a copy of our daily Bible reading calendar for 2013, send us an email to questions at collegeu.com, and in your email message, put your snail mail address so that we can mail that to you. we got a hard copy to send you. If you want, and I had one, I had one contact this week who asked me to send him the, the electronic version. It's in Microsoft Word uh, format. And we can, if you want it uh, in that format, we'll send it to you uh, as an attachment to email. But but more than likely, you'll want a hard printed copy. Did, it, of it. did anybody take you up on your hard 
Uh, no, I don't think anybody oh, wanted come a hard. On. We've got to. Yeah, yeah. we got to get people motivated here. Okay, all right. So send it. How much is it going to cost me? I mean, because th- things are sort of tight right now. It's it's absolutely free, and that's a bargain at half the price. All right. Well, it's, it's twice as much as it was last year. That's right. You're raising your prices. Yeah. All right. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview.com. Should we go to the phones? Yeah, we've got on the phone uh, a friend from Indiana, Orleans, Indiana, Mike Mailer. Mike has joined us on the program before. Mike, welcome again to the virtual Bible study. Hey, it's, uh, it's great to be with you guys, Jacob and, uh, and Greg, to be here. All right, we're looking forward to talking with you. And Mike, you've got some real insights into the the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and what they teach, because for a time in your life, you you uh, were were among them. You were, I don't know if you ever necessarily called yourself a Jehovah's Witness, but at least you were under their influence and teaching for some time in your life. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that, that was probably back around, uh, I suppose, the, the late 1990s, you know, like maybe 1999, year 2000 or something like that. I had really just kind of begun, you know, a search. Didn't didn't really have any knowledge of the Bible whatsoever, um, but I just kind of started to search. And one day the Jehovah's Witnesses knocked on my door, and long story short, you know, we decided that uh, I agreed to study with them. And I ended up studying with them for about a year and a half, and probably, you know, somewhere in the midst of that, I was pretty convinced that the Jehovah's Witnesses had the truth. They were pretty convincing in some of their arguments, especially to somebody who was pretty naive like that I was. I didn't know a lot about the now, Bible. You said that was a year and, and a half? That, make, you, a year and a half that it went on? Yeah, about a year and a half I okay. studied with them. All right. you know? In fact, they, they even brought me, the, the fellow who was studying with me, I started to ask him an awful lot of questions, and so he sort of referred me to somebody that was a what they call a full-time witness. There are people, depending upon the number of hours that they commit to uh, going door knocking. There are different levels that you can reach, and, and uh, one of the levels is considered full-time, and that's if you put in 40 hours a week uh, door knocking. And so this, this fellow was studying with me, and he actually brought me to a, some kind of a convention with the hopes that I would be baptized, but when I asked him about being baptized, by that time I had enough doubts and didn't want to become a Jehovah's Witness. I just wanted to become a Christian, and that kind of upset him, and actually that was a, a breaking point there. He ended up yelling at me. I've had that experience. I've had that experience as well. Not, not a, nobody, none of them have ever treated me mean or ugly at all. But I have, I have had them get pretty angry with me uh, at at a point. I wanted to ask you about this. Just, just a couple general observations before we get into some specifics of their doctrine, Mike. One thing that I've experienced is that when I've tried to engage them, they're not interested in hearing what I have to say. What I might be able to teach them about the scriptures. They're totally committed to being in the teacher mode. They don't want it. They don't want you to try to share with them anything of your understanding of the Bible. They they are very much only about teaching. Uh, in fact, we've had the experience at our house. My wife and I've had the experience when they've come to our house and we've invited them for study. I remember one time my wife said, "Oh yes, we'd be glad for you to study. Uh, we love to share what we believe about the Bible." Well, the guy set up the appointment. But within 30 minutes, he was back at the door to cancel the appointment. He, he asked, "Did you say you wanted to teach us what you believe?" And my wife said, "Yes, that's you know we 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 think that's very important." And they said, "Well, we wouldn't be interested in that," and they canceled the appointment. And that that's just one of several experiences we've had through the years concerning the Jehovah's Witnesses not willing to be open to what we might say to them. They want to tell us 
their doctrines, but they don't want to hear anything from us. Is that is that true to your experience as well? Yeah, that's very true because they're they're um, really kind of conditioned that the only people who have the truth are the Watchtower Society and anybody else who um, who, who teaches anything. I mean, I, I don't care who it is. If it's not a member of the Jehovah's Witnesses group, you know, the, the Watchtower Society or or you know, among their their you know group there. They're really heavily indoctrinated in the idea that everything else is just either people who are false teachers or they're, they're fallen and they've gone back into Christendom. Maybe they're ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, and, and these people are just going to fill your head with lies and confuse you. And so they're very conditioned, you know, from their elders uh, in their congregation on down, and they're really, really, you know, uh, encouraged really to kind of, I, I think, to keep an open mind. And I don't want to throw names out there, but I guess I'm going to. But I really feel like that is one of the definitions of a cult, when they start to to limit the amount of information that you have. I mean, they, they really started to discourage me when I started to go to the local bookstore and buy books on Christianity and different Christian topics. They were very much against that. In fact, it was at a time, um, you know, when we were starting to, uh, to study some of these things and, and uh, uh, this fellow and I were kind of having a degree So I decided to go and invest in an interlinear Bible because I, I looked at that at the bookstore and thought, well, this will disprove his interpretation of, of these words. And so I went and got a, like a $40 interlinear Bible that I have not used since then. <laughs> and I went and just, just to use it to try to debate with him about some of these words, and I didn't really need know the tools I needed. Anyway, he, he simply just opened it up and, and said, look, it's published by the Trinitarian Bible Society. <laughs> and they don't believe in the Trinity, so that he just cast that whole book aside, and it wouldn't matter what I showed him in that book, he just completely rejected the whole thing. So yeah, I mean, well, it, yeah, I, like I said, I've had more than one occasion where uh, my efforts to try and teach them anything at all were rebu- rebuffed, uh, and I think probably others have had those same kind of experiences. One other thing I wanted to ask you, Mike, and maybe you have some insight about this. <clears throat> I know some. Some people are really rude to the Jehovah's Witnesses when they come to the door. Uh, I'm of the impression that that doesn't really bother them. They they almost take that as a badge of honor that they've been persecuted in that sense that people, you know, uh, treat them rudely or uh, yell at them or you know uh, act ugly when they come to the door. Uh, is that your is is that their take on it? In other words, uh, they they actually consider that a, a sort of a uh, validation of their of their Christianity, so to speak. Right. Well I think they, they expect that of us. And I think some of their some of their complaint about, you know, being mistreated, I think that's that's fair because I'm sure, you know, going doing door knocking they do they do feel, you know, that they, they and they are mistreated at times. In fact one of the things that sort of kept me in that group a little bit longer is I would read books on Jehovah's Witnesses and, you know, I wasn't there to see the experience that they would relate in these books. But, you know, my experience with the Jehovah's Witnesses is that most of the time they're very, very good people. I mean, they're very good-natured people, and they try to live their faith. They're very sincere and zealous people, though they're, they're wrong. And a lot of the books and the periodicals that I read about them were offensive to me because they didn't represent any of the, rep- any of the witnesses well, I think- that I had ever met. I, I would encourage, as we're all talking about how we can interact with Jehovah's Witnesses and hopefully deal with them 
we believe they teach religious error. Therefore, we want to be equipped to, to, to refute the error they teach. But I would like to encourage us all that when they come to the door, well, we have we have not just a, a, a sort of the demands of common courtesy, but we have the demands of being a Christian and being a light. I think we should not uh, be rude or ugly to them. No. I think I think we should be kind and open and generous and inviting. Uh, been my experience that if if they get wind of the fact that you want to teach them, they won't be interested. But I think we should offer that. And but. By all means, don't be rude. I've known I've known of Christians. So I, oh, I just slam the door in their face when they come, and I I, I think that's wrong. Jacob, I, I agree. I agree. And uh, I mean, if you've got the truth on your side, there's no reason to be ugly. And uh, a lot of people say, well, it's just a waste of time to talk to them. I've talked to people who think, well, if they're if they're spending time with me, they're not spending time with anybody else. And so, yeah. you know, I'm, 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 at least I can waste their time. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to if you want to get the, the Jehovah's Witnesses in a Bible study. I'm not suggesting that we we intentionally mislead them or lie to them, but I think what you need to do is to sort of at least in the beginning conceal what you know about the Bible and what your faith or you know if you're a preacher in the church. Just you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't volunteer that information. I, I well, just, I don't tell I invite them. them into your house to study. I don't I don't uh, uh, I don't bring up front that I'm a preacher, but I do I, through the years because I've had so many occasions to to. to bump heads with them on on their unwillingness to be open to instruction that to me that's the critical issue i mean i have no reason to engage them if they're not willing to be taught in other words i, I think even the lord said you know don't cast your pearls before the right. swine if they if if they're not if and so i've actually made a test that i use when the jehovah's witnesses come to my door that uh they they sort of will mark your house after a time when they realize that that you're not a legitimate prospect they'll stop coming but when i have a chance i say i want you to come to my house this week at such and such a time for bible study but i want to come to your house the following week we'll just come your house my house this week your house the next week you know what i've only ever had one of them who would agree to that because they believe that if you they invite you into their house then they're inviting a false teacher they're bidding him godspeed as as second john warns against doing and so they won't they won't accept that. If they won't accept for me to come to their house the week after they come to my house, I sort of made that my test as to whether I want to engage that particular individual with Bible study. Well, uh, Jason in the chat room asked about Second John 10, verse, verses 10 and 11. Uh, wants to know, is it all right for you to invite them into your house to study? Based well, on the text. again, I, I want to know up front if they're going to be open to true Bible investigation. If they're just there, if, if they make it clear, now you can usually tell pretty quickly, if they, if they make it clear that they are just simply there to represent their point of view and to teach you what they think is right, and I'm not interested in that. I really don't want to invite them into my I'm not going to be rude or mean to them, but I'm going to find out pretty quick if they're open to an honest dialogue about the Scriptures. And uh, and if they're not, then then I'm going to, I'm going to take the biblical admonition about Casting pearls before swine. It, it, there, there's no use to do, and I don't. I don't even say that to be rude. I'm just saying that Jesus used those words to say sometimes it's a waste of time, All right. and you got to make a judgment call. And so I use that as my judgment call. Quickly, Mike, before our break, don't, don't, don't we agree that, that that that's pretty much the case with with everybody, though, not just Jehovah's Witnesses, but there are two kinds of people that I, I've categorized in my mind, and you you can't teach some people because they're just simply not truth seekers. Right. If somebody's really seeking the truth. 
concerned about, you know, uh, trying to maintain a, a doctrinal position. They're interested in exchanging ideas and information to try to figure out and work together to figure out what the truth is. Do yeah. you agree? Yeah. And, Mike, before, before our break, and uh, let, let me ask you quickly, what, what do you think is the best way to approach them? How, what's, the best, uh, what's the best way to make some, some ground and some headway with, with these folks as uh, you have time to study with them? I think what I do is I try to I try to begin by talking with them that way to ask them you know are they really interested in in learning and discovering the truth and that that's the way that I approach it and uh, you know um, I had another thought but it kind of left left my mind. There, I, I but, like the, I just know. like the question you know to ask I mean a, a, an honest question to ask anybody is do you believe there's any potential that what you believe could be in error. No, well, are you still right. are you still seeking? Are you still open and seeking the truth? Is there any possibility that what you believe right now might might not be the whole truth, nothing but the truth? And well, they will say, uh, most of them that I've had experience with will say, no, we're right. You know, I, I would right. tell well, any, anybody who believes that they have a hundred percent, you know, uh, truth. You know, that they they cannot be wrong. They can't be taught. But um, one of the things that I would suggest too is I would uh, I would encourage them to or encourage people to talk to them about things that are outside their realm a little bit. They're very programmed in a lot of their answers. I mean, they rehearse these and go over them and over them, and they just study the same thing over and over. And so they they've just been in this so long that they know the canned answers to give you. Yeah. But if you take them out of their element a little bit, for example, they they know all the typical elements or the arguments rather that that they come into. But what if you were to try to discuss with them, uh, you know, the topic of instrumental music? Now, the, the, the Kingdom Hall that I was in, I don't know if there's any different ones, but their singing was accompanied by a piano being played on tape. <laughs> so I don't, <laughs> you know, that's not but, exactly but, but, I, but I've had that same is. experience. They, If you get them off track, off of their pre, sort of pre-prepared presentation, they're usually right. not real effective getting i mean they've been coached and trained yeah. how to how to right. present it hey, let's jump to a break when we get back here to our update list earlier today i said i i indicated that we were going to be talking about the doctrines of jehovah's witnesses we got quite a bit of ground to cover and we're gonna to have to go fast I, I picked out six things that i think are worthy of our consideration we want to know what these people believe and teach we want to be able to answer their positions on six subjects and here's what they were the eternal soul of man the reality of hell the deity of christ the fact that only a limited number will inherit heaven, the destruction of the earth and universe, and the plan of salvation. So we're going to go to those. We're going to go rapid fire when we get back from this break, Jake. All right. Uh, when we get back, they don't believe that our soul's eternal. And, uh, they, well, they believe you're sort of dead, when you're dead like Rover. Yeah. All over. All right. We'll go to that when we get back. Don't go anywhere. We'll continue right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said, or would just like more information about what you've heard. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com, and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931 381 Four five six seven. Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach, and that we will do so in a loving manner. 
So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Our words may hide our thoughts, but our actions will reveal them. An angry person is never a respected person. A Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. The Bible is like a diamond field. Some truths lie right on top, others you have to dig for. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Man, I wish I'd said that. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the program tonight as we talk about uh, the so-called Jehovah's Witnesses. I don't think they are. And uh, we'll talk about uh, why we think that they're in error. We want to hear your thoughts at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. And in the chat room, it's very busy tonight. Uh, join in the chat room with other listeners. All right, we're going to talk real quick. we got six, six uh, elements of their doctrine that we have picked out to discuss. The first of them was what? how do we engage the Jehovah's Witnesses and what they believe about the eternal soul of man. First of all, I think we've got to understand from the Bible that the word soul is used in different ways in the Scripture. Okay. Uh, sometimes the word soul is used to mean uh, the whole of a man or his personhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1 Peter 3, verse 20, for instance, it says, talks about Noah uh, preparing the ark wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Well, there the word soul is used to talk about eight persons, eight people. It's talked about right. the, the whole of a man. Okay. Sometimes the word soul is used to talk about the life of an individual, even animal life or life of, of the flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1 Samuel 24:11, David said to Saul, I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. Mm-hmm. Well, what he meant was Saul was trying to kill him, trying to take his life. There the word soul is used about okay. his, the life force within his physical body. Okay. But, of course, most notably the word soul is talking about a man's immortal spirit. In, in Matthew 10, verse 28, Jesus said, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. There it's clearly not talking about the life force in the body. You can kill the body, but you can't kill the soul. He says, Rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So here it's talking about the immortal spirit of man, the part yes. of man that will endure throughout eternity. Yes. The best example of that in the in the scripture is this the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Oh, you called it a story. It is a story. Now the uh, question is: Is it a true story or is it a parable uh-huh, story? Uh-huh. It's a true story. Now that's going to be your first argument. With yeah, you. yeah. Uh, Luke 16, verse 22, beginning, and we're not going to take time to read all that. We got to hurry tonight. But in the in the account of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, they both are said to have died. Lazarus died. The rich man also died, it says. But they, although their physical bodies died, their spirit or soul endured. And uh, the rich man lifted up his eyes in torment, saw Abraham and Lazarus in his bosom. Uh, he was tormented. Uh, he said, I'm tormented in this uh, flame. Uh, Abraham told him, remember what you had in your lifetime. There was still a conscious existence of those individuals even after their physical bodies were dead. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses will say, because I've confronted them with that many times, they just simply say, well, that's just a parable. Well, I, if it's a parable, it's different than any other parable in the New Testament. It's different, for instance, in the sense that it gives a name to one of the individuals whose story is told there. 
But even if it is a parable, I'm, I'm, I'm really not even interested in arguing that point. Even if it is a parable, would Jesus use a falsehood in a parable to teach a truth? Right, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I mean, whether it's a parable or not, I don't, I'm don't. i not sure it's a whole, parable. The whole parable revolves around the fact that they're alive after they're dead. Yeah, and so what, you know, it, to me that's a, a moot point, whether it's a parable or not, right, right. it's still got to be the truth. Okay. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, there you go, Monty. Whether it's a parable or it's a illustration of an actual taking place thing the point of it is that you've got a soul that's going to endure beyond this life right. and that when you die your fate is sealed however you want to take it parable or not the lesson is still the same otherwise there is no lesson that's right money's running the board for us tonight yeah, thank you money yeah, that's the voice behind the curtain i don't know do we have a cam on yeah you got the camera there um uh we got, we got some, a lot of emails yeah, chris here. in georgia you got, uh, go, go ahead. He's the first one in your list there that has uh, answered uh, that go, one. Go, go ahead. Uh, he says, I copied the following quote that is supposed to be from their literature. When they are dead, quote, when they are dead, both humans and animals are in the same state of complete unconsciousness. The, that the soul lives after death is a lie started by the devil. They also teach Ezekiel 18, verse 4, that states the soul that sins shall die. All right. The soul that sins it shall die. We believe that souls die uh, figuratively. Uh, well, separation from God. Separated from God. Right. right. Uh, they are clearly taking this verse out of uh, and other along with others out of context. The second death is eternal punishment. Genesis 1:26 tells us we are creating God's image, who is eternal. Additionally, we see in Luke 19 the rich man and Lazarus both conscious after death. There are many more, more ways to refute this false teaching. All right, uh, Chris in the in in England, uh, Chris in the UK sends in tonight. He he references. Their book, Let God Be True, that's a publication of Jehovah's Witnesses, and he says it, okay. that that book teaches the soul ceases to exist after death. Uh, he references pages 59, 60, and 67. Okay, and Anthony uh, in Columbia says the Bible clearly teaches that a man's soul is eternal. There are just too many references to life eternal and, on the flip side, everlasting punishment. If existence ends at physical death, then what could these passages mean? Not to mention the inescapable doctrine of resurrection. This is clearly not a mere physical resurrection, as explained in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And also, many other passages, such as Matthew 10, verse 28, teach the idea of soul versus physical body. Also, the transfiguration. Moses and Elijah appeared as well, but not corporally. All right. All right. Thank you, Anthony. Um, we got an email from Randy up in Michigan, and he, he's got a good argument from Mark 9, beginning verse 43. There, Jesus said three times, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Uh, he says, we also read this in Matthew 25, 46. These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The punishment is going to last as long as the eternal life does. And I think Randy's right about that. All right. Uh, Mike, your thoughts on the eternal soul? Well, I, I was just going to say what Randy said just a moment ago. Uh, Matthew 25, verse 46. The only thing that I'll add to that is if you look up the, the phrase... Uh, or the, the words there, everlasting punishment and eternal life, that is the same Greek word, uh, Ienos, that's used there. And so however long everlasting life is going to be, everlasting punishment is going to be equally long as well. I think that's a really good uh, uh, point to make, Mike. That's the same Greek word, everlasting and eternal. So if, if, if the reward lasts forever, the punishment lasts forever. All right. All right. Let's, let's, so uh, I think we, we can... Our, uh, Argue that with the Jehovah's Witnesses very effectively. Don't be afraid to engage them on that question of the eternal soul of man. All right. Uh, real quickly, let's, this is a, uh, sir, this one dovetails in. Yeah, really this well. this next doctrine is connected with that. Uh, just necessarily connected. 
And that's the idea that there is a real burning hell. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses teach spiritual annihilation. From Chris in the UK, he quotes, There is no hell of fire where the wicked are punished. That's what these people believe. All right. So how do, how do we answer that? Mike, you got a quick answer on the uh, on the confirming the existence of hell? Well, uh, the Jehovah's, use, Jehovah's Witnesses usually point out that there's uh, you know a literal meaning of... They, they get into the Greek words quite a bit. And they sort of complain a little bit, you know, about uh, how the, the words are sometimes not translated consistent, consistently. Yeah, that's a pretty convenient but, argument, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, you know, uh, again, when you look at, like, the story in Luke 16 of the rich man and Lazarus, you know, it doesn't make any sense that Jesus would use a falsehood to try to teach truth. In other words, Jesus, you know, he's describing this this parable or a story, a real story, however you want to take it, but he's describing uh, a man who's in a place that's called torment. Why would Jesus talk about a place called torment if no place existed? And then he maintains his memories of his past life on earth. Well, if we don't remember anything, as Jehovah's Witnesses, they often quote, um, you know, Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 5, uh, to try to point that out, dead know nothing. So why would Jesus say that this man was dead in an eternal place of fire and he didn't know anything? If none of that's even true to begin with, what point could Jesus possibly be trying to make there? It doesn't make any sense. You know, one thing we've got to be really ready to explain, they, they really love to go to the book of Ecclesiastes and snatch out certain passages, but you got to, when you study the book of Ecclesiastes, that's, by the way, a rather difficult book to study because Solomon flip-flops the, from the perspective from which he is speaking. Sometimes right. he speaks as a man... Uh-huh who understands that there is a God and an eternity, and other times he speaks as a man who's looking at things purely from a human standpoint. Right. And, and so when he says the dead know nothing at all, he's speaking from that human perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and, right. and if you're not careful, and if, you, if you don't, and if you don't be careful, the Jehovah's Witnesses will use those expressions in the book of Ecclesiastes out of context really leads you to a false conclusion. Chris in Atlanta says, they deny the existence of hell as eternal punishment. They do not believe man is conscious when he dies. They use many of the same arguments that a lot of Christian groups are beginning to use to deny the reality of hell. That's interesting. Jesus speaks more about hell than anyone else in the Bible. He made it clear that hell is a real place, and it is a place of torment. It is not a pleasant teaching, but it is extremely important that we understand the reality of it and the dire need we have to teach people about that and how God provided a way to avoid it. Jason in the chat room provides it. A verse from Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Don't know a way around that, uh, Jason says. Uh, He says they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It seems like they believe that offending God and sinning against him is not any worse than any crime in this life that you are put to death for. Sinning against an eternal holy God makes one worthy of eternal punishment. Thank you, Jason, for those comments. All right, Anthony, an email says, if there's a heaven, there's a hell. Jesus taught extensively about both. In fact, Jesus taught more about hell than anyone else in the Bible. And Randy in Michigan says, again, Matthew 25, verse 46, uh, talking about everlasting punishment, and Mark uh, 9, 43 through 48. Whatever Matthew 25, verse 46, and and Mark 9 is talking about is going to last forever. Thank you, Randy. All right, so we've got a, we've got an answer for them on the hell question uh, that the, the Bible plainly speaks about it in reality, 
They're denying its existence. They're denying the, they're denying the very teaching of Jesus. All right. We need to get to a break and get this week's bullet point. When we get back, we'll talk about the deity of Christ. This is one that uh, I think is, is it's fundamental. Yeah. That you've got to address them on this subject. If you can't agree on this, you can't agree on anything, I believe. All the right, deity so of Christ. We're going to talk about the deity of Christ when we get back right. to this break. And uh, Jason sent in this quote that he found interesting on the idea of studying for yourself. Uh, notice what the uh, Watchtower Society says about this. This, again, is the Jehovah's Witnesses publication from August 15, 1981. From time to time, there have arisen from among the ranks of Jehovah's people those who, like the original Satan, have adopted an independent, fault-finding attitude. They say that it is sufficient to read the Bible exclusively, either alone or in small groups at home. But strangely, through such Bible reading, they have reverted right back to the apostate doctrines that... Com- com- uh, com- Commentaries by Christendom's clergy were teaching 100 years ago. The Watchtower itself says here that if you try to study and understand the Bible for yourself, you will not agree with them and will believe apostate doctrines. Interesting. Again, they're they're basically saying don't listen to anybody but us. we got the truth. We're going to tell you. And and they go into some detail trying to establish themselves as God-ordained interpreters of the word. Mm -hmm. I've I've really engaged them about that quite a lot. Uh, And they believe that, that they are God's appointed ones to disseminate the word. They, they don't believe they're receiving new revelation from God. Oh, we've lost uh, Mike. Maybe Michael calls back. But but they believe that they are inspired disseminators of the word. Okay. And uh, they'll basically listen to us. Just don't question. All right. Let's All go right. this break. All right. We'll do a break at this week's bullet point. Hopefully Michael will join us on the other side, and hopefully you will as well. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. A classified advertisement in a local newspaper offered divorces for just $20 with these conditions stated. Both must sign, children and realty extra. The same lawyer, by the way, does bankruptcies for $150. Our sensitivity is real at the thought of divorce being less expensive than a tank of gas, a good meal at a restaurant, or a trip to the amusement park. It's obviously cheaper than declaring bankruptcy, at least so far as this lawyer is concerned. But this particular advertisement simply serves to illustrate what too many people believe, namely that divorce is just that simple. Pay the lawyer, pack your bags, and be finished with the whole thing. May we suggest some other costs associated with divorce that this advertisement overlooks? For instance, a broken home, kids without the love and guidance of a mom and a dad, a damaged influence, frequent feelings of guilt and failure, Heartaches caused to other family members and friends. We could add to this list, but the most important consideration is that divorce involves sin. When we study God's marriage law in passages like Matthew 5:32, Matthew 19:6 through 8, and so forth, we notice from those verses that someone, the husband, the wife, or both, is guilty of sin every time a divorce occurs. What we need in marriage is stronger commitment and dedicated faithfulness and less desire to end it all with a quick and supposedly cheap divorce. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. And we welcome you back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. We encourage you to find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Find out more information about podcasting 
a recent sermon that was preached here. Uh, find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We're talking about the Jehovah's Witnesses, the so-called Jehovah's Witnesses. We don't, do not believe that they are his witnesses. We believe they're wrong on a lot of things, and uh, we're talking about six of those tonight. We're trying, to pick out, we're trying to pick out six really important ones, and we could find more, I'm sure, but uh, these are essential ones. And as you said, Jake, before the break, the, the deity of Christ uh, is very important. I got some quotes, and Mike, you said you dug up some quotes on some of these things too, so if you've got some uh, some quick quotes, we might go to those. But I got I got three pretty quick quotes from different Jehovah's Witnesses. Source. This first one is from Judge Rutherford. You know, Charles Taze Russell founded the Jehovah's Witness movement, and then the, the next predominant leader of the, of the movement after Russell was Judge Rutherford. And he said concerning the deity of Christ, it is a dishonor to his name and a reproach to his name to teach the people that there are three gods in one or one in three. The great Jehovah God is completely separate and distinct from all. He is the creator. All others are creatures. Great Jehovah is the God. The Son, the Logos, is a God. In truth, when Jesus was on earth, he was a perfect man, nothing more, nothing less. Jesus was not God the Son. Uh-huh. Very clear there. In their, in their book called Reconciliation, page 106, it says he was the beginning. Jesus was the beginning of God's creation. Uh-huh. And from and after that time was the active agent by whom Jehovah God created all things that mm-hmm. were created. In other words, God created Jesus first. First, and then, then Jesus he, he helped. He used Jesus to create the okay. rest of the things. Okay. And then from their book, Make Sure of All Things, page 207, it says, quote, Jesus, the Christ, a created individual, is the second greatest personage of the universe. He was formed countless millenniums ago as the first and only direct creation by his father, Jehovah. All right. So you, you get the gist of what they're saying there is Jesus is a created being, not an eternal being. Mm-hmm. Kind of interesting. Mike, what do you think? Well, I've got a quote for you. Um, essentially, they don't believe you know, that, that Jesus is deity and uh what they want to you know, teach people is that he's actually the, the Archangel Michael, which I'm confused why they don't just, why God didn't just call him Michael then, why, why change his name. But right. anyway, um, this is a quote. Um, it says, uh, at, at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, the Revised uh, Standard Version, uh, the commander of Jesus Christ uh, for the res- resurrection began uh, being described as the Archangel's call, and Jude 9 says that the Archangel is Michael. Would it be appropriate to liken Jesus, Jesus' commanding call to that of someone lesser in authority? Reasonably, then, the archangel Michael is Jesus Christ. So that's the other half of it, that, that, that they believe that he is Michael the archangel. All right. That's that's uh, that, that's really bizarre, I think. But, but quickly, we know that God, Jesus is God. Too many verses that he, Hebrews that. 1, verse 8. But unto the Son, the Father said... Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. The Father called Jesus God. And later on in Hebrews chapter 1, he goes or verse 5, he says, uh, To which of the angels did he ever say, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee? He didn't say that to any angels. He didn't so Jesus say it, obviously he didn't, wasn't an angel. And he didn't say it to Michael, No, the archangel. No, he didn't say it to an angel. He, he said it to Jesus. That's right. So okay. that, that verse would prove that he's not okay. an angel. All right. Isaiah 9, verse 6, talking about the, the, the coming Messiah. Unto us a child is born, unto us a a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, 
course, the one of the verses, and you know this well, Mike, one of the verses that's really a point of controversy is John 1, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yeah. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Now, they, the Jehovah's Witnesses use the New World Translation. That's their own translation. It's not legitimate. It's not accurate. And they've specifically perverted the translation of that verse because <clears throat> the correct translation says the word Jesus was God. Their translation says he was a God. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference in that. But even disregarding that in John 1, verses 1 through 3, notice all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Yes. Nothing that was made was made without Jesus. Right. Well, if Jesus was a made being or a created being, that verse wouldn't make any sense. Yes. Nothing that was made was made without yes. him. Therefore, he couldn't be a made thing or a created being. Yes. The very verse denies it. Uh, a verse that they like to throw out is Colossians 1, 13 through 17. And in that passage, uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and are in earth, visible and invisible, and so on it goes. Yes. What about that expression, the firstborn of God? Yeah. Well, the context tells you what it's about. Go ahead. Well, in uh, verse 18. What are we getting there? Yeah, that's uh, some static on Mike's line. I'm going to mute him there for now. Uh, it goes on. It says, uh, you know, first off, you, you've got some points there that it, it, all things were created by him. And uh, so that, that proves that he couldn't have been the first creature. That's created. right. All things were created by right. him. Right. That, if all things created and they were created by him, he couldn't be one of the created things. No. And firstborn doesn't necessarily mean that he's the first created being. It means that he has the preeminence, as verse 18 says. He is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. The firstborn in the Old Testament was the preeminent the, uh, one. We're talking about rank. Rank. That's right. And it also says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. If it firstborn, uh, uh, firstborn, uh, first created, uh, he's the firstborn of every creature. If that means he was the first one created, then firstborn from the dead would mean that he is the first one who's ever been raised from the dead, and he's not the first one who's been raised from the dead. He's the preeminent one. Yeah. And so That's it, proves, point. it proves that he is not uh, the first one to be created. Another verse they like to use is Revelation 3.14, uh, where it calls him the beginning of the creation of God. Mm -hmm. Now, that, that if yeah. the English wording there would suggest what they want to get at, mm -hmm. and that is that he's a created being. But notice uh, uh, Joseph Henry Thayer says that the the word translated the beginning of the creation of God means that by which anything begins to be the active cause. So it's, it's not saying he's the beginning of creation. In other words, he's the first thing God created. He he's the active cause of yes. everything that was created. Yes. Okay. He's what began the creation. He's the He's the one who began the creative work, right? not okay. that he was the first created thing. Okay, good. All right, uh, Pat in uh, Harvest, Alabama, and I can unmute. Maybe Mike's got the static on now. Uh, he also references, um, Pat references some verses that we haven't yet. John 20, verse 28, my Lord and my God is, is referred to Jesus. Acts 20, verse 28, to feed the church of God what he has purchased with his own blood. Jesus was God. God's blood purchased. Uh, the church. Revel Romans 9, verse 5, Christ came who is overall God-blessed forever. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, Christ Jesus is uh, shown equal with God. Uh, that's right, he, he did not think it was something to be grasped, to be equal with God. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, God was manifest in the flesh, received up into glory. Titus 2, verse 13, the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank All you, right, Pat, for those verses. Real quickly, let me hit just the high points of some of these others. We got a real long write-up from Chris in the U.K. He references lots of verses, some of the same ones that we just mentioned. For sake of time, I'm going to pass over most of what he's written there, but we do appreciate Chris in the U.K. taking a lot of time to give us answers on hey, the I like, I like what he's, the questions he poses about John 1, verse 1, where their their translation says say that Jesus is a God, a God not God. If Jesus is a God, then isn't that polytheism? If Jesus is a God, then how many gods are there in the Jehovah's Witness theology? If Jesus is a God, then is he a true God or a false God, since the Bible says there is only one God, Isaiah 43, verse 10, 44, 6, and 8. If Jesus is a God, then why does he tell people to come to him and not the Father? Interesting. All right, good questions, Chris. In the UK. You, Chris. Chris in Atlanta says uh, there are many verses that, Disprove their teaching that Jesus is just a God. A few of them, Romans 9, 5, which refers to Christ, who is God over all. Second, Peter 1, 1. Uh, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by, their, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus called God. Titus 2, 13, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right. And then uh, Jason in Pennsylvania says, I uh, would not usually deal with the verses that the witnesses usually have response pre-programmed to their minds by the Watchtower Society, such as John 1.1. I will try to use arguments that they are not used to hearing. Uh, so he's going to sort of use a different approach here. He says, uh, some verses uh, I would show the witnesses well, he's are... He's got a lot. We don't have time uh, to get verses. them all. Verses, we'll list them here quickly, that uh, show that uh, refer to Jesus as Jehovah. You can actually use the witnesses' own blasphemous New World Translation Bible uh, when using this argument. Uh, quickly, the verses are Psalm 68:18, Jeremiah 9:24, Isaiah 6, 1 through 10, Isaiah 8, 13 and 14, Isaiah 40, verse 3, Malachi 3, 1, Isaiah 45, verse 2, Zechariah 11:13, Zechariah 12:10, Joel 2, verse 32. He'd also w uh, challenge them to defend their doctrine that Jesus is Michael the archangel. Uh, and, and he references, I think, what uh, what uh, Mike has already done. So thank you for great that work, together, Jason. Jason. Great work on that. Yeah. I wish we had time to go into all of those, but there are a lot of what we're seeing here is that there's just a whole host of verses that teach that Jesus is God. Mm. Uh, Anthony says in his email, Jesus unequivocally claimed to be deity, and it cost him his life. Either he was telling the truth, or he was a con artist, or he was a lunatic. The fact that the apostles suffered untold persecution and even martyrdom for the cause of Christ, I am convinced Jesus was telling the truth. You believe he was just a good man or a strong prophet, then logically you have to take the position. You have to take the position that he was a liar or a madman. Yes, absolutely. All right, and then uh, Randy in uh, Michigan says uh, we read this in Hebrews one verse eight, as you did. referenced, and uh, John one verse one. So those passages are hard to get around. I I'm going back and looking at Jason's email here, and I really wish we had time to get in. Because he looks at the prophecies of Christ where it refers to Christ as Jehovah. Uh, the, the coming one would be Jehovah. Yeah. Uh, in Zechariah 11, verse 13. Uh, and then, uh, let's see, um, Zechariah 12, verse 10. In Zechariah 12, verse 10, Jehovah uh, predicts that the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall look unto me whom they pierced. And this was filled by Jesus being pierced by the nails on the cross, John 19, 34, 37. Interesting. We'll have to look into that more. Yeah, okay. Thank you, Jason. We're past time for a break. Mike, anything to add on that deity question before we move on? 
Not a whole lot. I, I just uh, I was gonna, I was just reminded that uh, one time David Patfield, who's preaching up in Zion, Illinois, he had shared with me one time a uh, you know he had actually taken the time to write several of the the Bible scholars, people who you know were well known for for uh, uh, studying uh, Hebrew and Greek, some, some well names. I remember I couldn't find the, the sheet right now, but uh, some people that uh, that people would probably recognize their names, you know, for being on the covers of books and things like that, but. Anyway, um, long story short, these people, I mean, they, they were not kind to the New World Translation of John 1 and verse 1. They basically all agreed it was the translation that the New World Translation uses is absolutely absurd and inaccurate. Okay. All right. I, I think that's true. I mean, I think it, it's very clear that they have, I mean, it's so clear in John 1 1 that they have perverted that translation uh, to, to come around to their way of thinking. All right. Well, uh, quickly, we need to go to our last break, and then we'll go to the top of the hour. We've got some more questions. We've got three more to go. Yeah, well, we may not get them all done, but we're, we're talking about the doctrines of the Jehovah's Witnesses. What we want everybody to do is feel comfortable in, in, in engaging them in Bible study. If they're willing, we're willing. Let's not be afraid of them. we got the truth on these things, and it's pretty clear that they're in error on a number of important doctrines. As Mike, as you said, they're good, sincere people, very energetic and evangelistic, uh, but they're wrong. And we need to be able to share the truth with them. So we'll keep studying. All right. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the Virtual Bible Study right after these important messages. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the Virtual Bible Study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, there's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study and hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. A recent study by the Barna Group found that almost 60% of young people ages 15 to 29 have distanced themselves from active involvement in a church. David Kinneman, president of the Barna Group, says young people are finding church shallow. He says, quote, Christianity has become so hip, so watered down, so about entertainment, and they're looking for something of more substance. That information via CBN News. The Word of God says in Matthew 15, 8, This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. We welcome you back to the program tonight as we talk about the Jehovah's Witnesses and their false doctrines and false beliefs. We've got three more topics we want to address. We'll have to go fast. They believe only a few are going to go to heaven. Explain that to me. Well, I think maybe this is one of the better known 
doctrines of Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that there will be 144,000 that will go to heaven. Exactly, 144,000. These are the ones who are going to inherit heaven. Now, that's not the sum total of people who live righteous lives. The rest of the righteous, they believe, are going to inherit this earth. God is going to refashion this earth. In fact, he's going to put it back into the condition that it was in during the time of Adam and Eve. And then, and so the 144,000 will go to be in heaven, but the rest of the righteous will inherit the earth and dwell here forever. And therefore, obviously, that means this earth is not going to be destroyed. It's going to be refashioned and it will continue to exist. Where they get that 144,000 is from the book of Revelation. Two passages in Revelation, chapter 7, verse 4, speaks about the 144,000. Kind of interestingly there, it goes on to describe them as as 12,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe it's a literal number, but they don't believe that they're literal Jews. So they got a literal number with a figurative description of that number, which is, is a, a very flaky interpretive yes. tool. That's what I, I like to point that out to them. Revelation 7, 144,000 are said to be all Jews. They don't believe that. The other places in Revelation 14, 3, and 4, it mentions the 144,000, but there it it describes them all as male virgins. Right. Uh, they believe the number's literal, but they don't believe they're all men, certainly don't believe they're all male virgins. Mm-hmm. And so I like to press them about that. They're, being real, they're going to a book full of figurative languages. They're snatching out a figure and trying to apply it literally, but they won't take the whole figure. They, and, won't, they won't accept the whole of the of the. Of the of the symbolic uh, thing that's talked about there. They're, they're way off base on their interpretation of just Revelation itself. Now, there are a whole lot more than 144,000 of these Jehovah's Witnesses, so what happens to the rest of them? Yeah, they're going to inherit the earth. They're going to, when the Lord, the 144,000 will go to be in heaven, the rest of the righteous will inherit this refashioned earth. God's going to restore the earth, put it back in his perfect condition that was in when Adam and, Eve were, Adam and Eve were in the garden before the fall. Now, interesting, uh, and maybe, Mike, you can comment on this. I believe in their assemblies that when they take communion, only those who believe they're in the 144,000 take, and the ones who think that they will live on earth after uh, Christ returns, they abstain and watch the others. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct. I, I, I've probably told this story to you guys before, but, uh, you know, the, they only partake of the communion once a year as well. They call it the, uh, the memorial uh, and uh, they, they, they pass the communion around, but nobody's allowed to take it unless they think that they're one of the chosen 144,000. And, 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 and there are almost none of them around anymore, right? Right. Yeah, but they believe that the last generation you know, existed or, or came on the scene in 1913, so there's not too many of those folks around anymore. And so when they, when they pass the communion plate around, you know, I was asking, I said, well, how do you know whether you're one of the 144,000 or not? They said, well, you just know that when you... When you die, you're going to go to heaven. So I partook of the communion, <laughs> and I was the only the only person in the whole assembly that, that Wait, took the communion. When you think and I was not a Jehovah's Witness. That that didn't go over real well. They kind of they didn't really say anything, but I don't think it was <laughs> accepted very well. Oh, taboo. You know, that's when you think about it. 144,000 is not all that many people. We're we're down here in Tennessee. We're we're fond of our University of Tennessee volunteer football program, where we have been until recent years. At Neyland Stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee, on a Saturday football game, there'll be 107,000 people in Neyland Stadium. So you think about that, Jacob. We've been there a number of times. Just a few more than what you see in Neyland Stadium on Saturday 
playing foot, uh, watching the football game at the University of Tennessee. It's, that's about all that's going to heaven. Yeah, that's not a lot of people. No, it's in, not uh, compared to the, you know, how many the, uh, righteous folks there may be worldwide. So they really do uh, hinge their hope. Their hope is not on heaven. No, their hope is on existing uh, on, on in a restored earth. In other words, when they die, they're like everybody else. They're, when they die, they're dead all over. But God will will bring them back. Uh, and, and he will refashion their bodies and bring them back to a restored earth uh, in the end. Uh, but Jesus said our hope, what, what did Jesus teach was our yeah. hope? Matthew 5, verse 11, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. We're so persecuted today, the prophets were before you. Our reward is in heaven. Our reward is not on earth. And what's kind of interesting is that was the hope that Jesus taught. Uh, and, and there is only one hope uh, for the Christian. In Ephesians 4, verse 4, there's one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. The Jehovah's Witnesses teach two, two hopes. hopes. Yeah. Uh, Jesus taught one. Paul taught one. That's the one we're looking forward to. Chris in the UK sends an interesting quote. Uh, he says, uh, "Likewise, the greater Moses, Jesus Christ, is not the mediator between Jehovah God and all mankind. He is the mediator between His heavenly Father, Jehovah God, and the nation of spiritual Israel, which is limited to only 144,000 members." This is that's a quote from their uh, their publication, "The Desire for Peace and Security Worldwide." Uh, does Jesus mediate for the average Jehovah's Witness? No. Jesus, and this, here's the quote, Jesus Christ is not the mediator between Jehovah God and all mankind. He is the mediator between his heavenly father, Jehovah God, and the nation of spiritual Israel, which is limited to only 144,000 members. That's interesting. So not only can you not go to heaven, Jesus isn't mediating for you before the Father. Okay. All right. Uh, Chris in UK says they believe 144,000 were selected and will spend eternity as spirit creatures in heaven and rule over the other Jehovah's Witnesses remaining on earth. If they do not believe a man is eternal, how did these 144 get eternal souls? That's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, it, uh, he, he goes on and says, that doesn't make sense. Again, we see all throughout Scripture that we are created as eternal beings, and God has provided a way of salvation that is open to all, not just 144,000. All right. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, Jason in Pennsylvania says, both sections of the Revel of Revelation that uh, mention the 144,000 never mention that these are the only people going to heaven. It is the opposite. Revelation Seven verses two and three say that the 144,000 are on earth and need a seal placed on their foreheads while the multitude are standing before the throne and will serve the Lord for, in heaven forever. Revelation 7, verse 9 through 17. Uh, the 144,000 in Revelation are also all Israelites, 12,000 from each tribe. Revelation 14 says that the 144,000 are also males and virgins uh, that have not lied and are blameless. Jehovah's Witnesses do not accept those things, about 144,000. Uh, Anthony says a limited number will indeed inherit heaven. Matthew seven fourteen. Yes. You know Jesus said the minority will be saved, not the majority. A few will, a few will enter in the way that is straight and narrow. But no. of course he says the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. I believe that only one hundred forty four thousand will make it. This simply is not taught in scriptures. The passage from which this is drawn says these one hundred forty four thousand will be male virgins. They don't believe that. And Randy Rev in uh, Michigan Rev references Revelation seven verse nine. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. If I'm right, Randy says that great multitude which no one could number 
is more than 144,000. All right, real quickly, I want to take the one. Uh, we're going to take number five real quickly, and we'll dispose of this. The, uh, in other words, they they've got to believe then, in conjunction with the 144,000, they got to believe the Earth will last forever. Thirty seconds. And the uh, the verse that they can't deal with is Second Peter three verse ten. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Notice it's talking about the very elements of the earth. Not just, they, they like to say, well, that's just talking about the bad things. God's going to burn out and purge the bad things on earth. No, it says the earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. When you talk to Jehovah's Witnesses about the earth not being destroyed, they absolutely cannot get around Second Peter 3, verse 10. So the only thing we didn't talk about about the Jehovah's Witness doctrine, it's an important thing, maybe we can cover that in another time, is their plan of salvation. They, they very much teach a plan of salvation similar to the to the Baptist, uh, a faith-only kind of salvation, but we didn't have time to get to that tonight. All right. Well, Mike, we appreciate you joining us on the program. We haven't gotten to talk to you here much at the end. We've been uh, going through our emails so fast, but Mike, uh, excellent insight and appreciate you taking time to be part of the program tonight. Well, thanks for having me on the, on the program, guys. I, I always enjoy it. We always thanks, appreciate Mike. your input. And, Monty, uh, same to you. We haven't had much time to talk, but uh, thank you for driving the controls tonight. Pleasure to be here. All right. And thank you, Dad, for your time. Thanks, Jacob. What's next week? I don't know. We're always open to suggestions, so if you have an idea of something you'd like to talk about, let us hear from you. All right. Let us hear from you. Questions at collegeview.com. If you agree, disagree, have a suggestion or a question you'd like discussed, let us know your thoughts. Questions at collegeview.com. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.